Welcome on everyone to another episode of Sigh of the Storm. My name is Evan Wesling, as always, joined alongside my co-host, Mr. Brandon Ness. Today, we have the Iowa, or the Cyhawk preview um, for you guys. Uh, we'll just kind of give you a quick laydown of what this episode is going to look like. Um, we'll start things off with a quick recap of that UNI game, our thoughts and reactions. Um, if you want a more in-depth reaction to that still, um, you can go ahead and check out the instant reaction that we posted after the game on Saturday. Uh, followed by that, we'll head to our preview of Iowa, and then we'll close things down with our keys to the game and predictions. Um, but before we go ahead and dive into everything, Brandon, how you doing today? I'm doing good. It's good to have football back. Week one was kind of weak with games nationally, yeah. but it was a good capper last night to see Dabo go down and Clemson <laughs> lose to a basketball school there. So <laughs> that was good to see, but I mean, overall... Good to see Jack Trice full again once everybody got into the stadium. Yeah. And unfortunately, it was 100 degrees for those who were in the stadium. But <laughs> anyways, with all those negatives, it is good to be back. Yes, no question. Um, so I will pretty much turn this over to Brandon, you guys. Um, I'll add in my insight from the UNI game. Um, but yeah, Brandon, go ahead and run run with it from your thoughts from Saturday. Yeah, and please jump in when you see means to. I'll start yeah. with the offense. Um, since you were more positive in your reaction, as you usually yeah, are, yeah. I'll take the pessim- pessimistic approach, more devil's advocate here. But there wasn't a ton of negatives to yeah. take, really. Starting on offense, which is one of the bigger negatives, uh, you didn't really see anything from Higgins or any of the receivers besides Noel. Yeah. I think Noel looks a lot better. He looks quicker to me. Mm-hmm. He was there on a lot of deep balls. Rocco will hit those eventually with time. I don't really have any concerns on his side of things. He's always that reliable type receiver. Yeah. You just need somebody else to be there. I think Stanley had a false start at one point. Mm-hmm. So not great from receivers, but what was it? Eight of the 17 attempts were to tight ends. Yeah. And they're all young. So that's a really good thing to see out of them. Brahmer and our guy Tyler Moore got a <laughs> touchdown pass, which yeah. was awesome. good to see. And both longer touchdown passes, which I was a little bit um, surprised by with Rocco getting most of the snaps. I didn't think we would see a lot of downfield passing from him, but mm-hmm. he showed a pretty good arm. I mean, the one to Brommer was 35-ish yards. Yeah, it was 36. I mean, obviously, take away a couple with Brommer getting some yards after catch there, but, I mean, that ball was perfectly in stride. Like, you could not have asked a better throw to Brommer. You touched on it. He just missed that deep post going from the right side to the left side of the field to Jalen Knoll, and then he also hit just the straight go route on the left sideline. Um, but other than that, I mean, I I rewatched because I'm a psycho. I went and rewatched the first half of that game and just the first drive of the second half, which was the Brommer touchdown. Um, Rocco's three incompletions. You heard me just missing the deep balls, and then he threw one away. So, I mean, you you really kind of asked a better game from Rocco. Um, but yeah, I think like when you look at receiving and Rocco talked about this today in his press availability, or at least like the clip that I was able to see on Cyclone Fanatics YouTube channel. Um, but it was nothing really that they weren't trying to get the receivers involved. It was just kind of the flow of the game is how they worded it. And I, I mean, I would say like, it's not that they're not trying to get the receivers involved, but I think once they went up 14, nothing, 
it got that game plan got even more vanilla than they were probably planning on it being and just kind of went with the flow of the game. But I will say to your point, you did touch on just like not getting a lot from the receivers. There wasn't a whole lot of snaps from like a variety of receivers. Um, Aiden Bitter had that one corner route that he caught for 15 yards. Is that the only route he can run? <laughs> Apparently, because he had that toe tap against right. Iowa. <laughs> um, there was not a single target to Demetrius Stanley, and as you noted, like outside of that false start, I don't feel like there. Were, I saw even him. I guess when the ball isn't thrown to you, you don't really pay attention to a lot of guys. I saw Daniel Jackson in there a couple times, and maybe there were some guys who got there at the in at the end of the game, but I wasn't like thoroughly paying attention by that point. Um, but for the most part, like I only really see five guys get like true action. Uh, Benny Nagoy not really seeing a whole lot, which is. I guess not like necessarily surprising because he was third on the depth chart. And a lot of people have been talking about Greg Gaines because he's the super highly touted recruit and he's not even on like the depth chart. He didn't really see anything. So, I mean, I think in terms of like actual targets, it was just the flow of the game, but it was interesting that the lack of receivers that we just saw getting snaps that even in this kind of game was where I think maybe where you're talking about. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative like I think we're just readjusting from Xavier Hutchinson being the yeah. entire offense to a more tight end based system, which was the case from twenty eighteen to twenty twenty one. And this that's where Iowa State's offense fri- thrived. I mean, twenty twenty they make the Big Twelve title and it's probably the best tight end room. I mean, you're talking about Kohler, Allen, and Saner. I mean, those three were awesome. I think outside of I think I want to say it was uh, Charlie and then Hutch, and then it was, like, Allen and Saner, and then there wasn't a receiver behind them. I think it was, like, Breeze at that point. So, like, when Iowa State's been successful or, like, the most successful under Campbell, it's not really a variety of receivers doing the bulk of of things. It's the tight ends. And so you can tell they, you know, Campbell's talked a lot about how he feels like outside of the secondary, this is probably the deepest position group on the team, and it kind of showed on Saturday. (laughs) For sure. And you just want to see a little more guys getting involved, but it's one game. You take everything with a grain of salt. Moving into um, running backs and rushing, I was surprised they listed five guys with an or on the depth chart, and then you only see three of them. Yeah. I think Carson Hansen got, like, snaps. We never got at the very end, but he didn't get a carry. But if you're not really getting a carry, it's not really playing. But anyway, mm-hmm. continue. So it looks like Abu Sama, which you were high on from about a year ago. I, I The second I saw him versus Johnson, that semifinal, and then followed that up by watching him versus Valley in the state title. And I, and I know it was crazy to say it, but when he gets his burst in open field, I was sitting there in the UNI Dome, and I was like, holy cow, this guy looks like Brees. And I didn't want to like call him the next Brees Hall. I was just saying the way he runs, the kid just floats. And when he gets into open field, he just hits an extra gear and he flies. And so that was like the first running back I thought of when I saw him in person. And that one 26-yard run, it looked like he was not running that hard when he was like stretching it to the outside. And then you just see him in a flash. And again, didn't really look like he was sprinting. He's throwing out stiff arms, juking guys. Yeah, I'm, he kind of proved what I was hoping it would be. <laughs> yeah, and then moving to the most underrated guy of the game, I think, was Cartavius Norton. He looks like a completely different player. He looks healthy. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of funny that he's holding up near the sideline now because he would, doesn't want to trip on the cement anymore. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it was the first carry of the game, 
it got called back because of holding, but he it broke was, free for it, like 20 yards. And it really wasn't like the hold really opened it up. It, I mean, it was Jalen Null on the outside just kind of held on for no reason. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was like a 15-yard run that – but, yeah. I think those two are going to be really, really good one-two punch for years yeah. to come because they're both – but Cartagius is a sophomore still, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's sophomore. So you got Bob's a freshman, sure. sophomore. Neither of them going to leave for at least another year. So you got a good group of backs in the near future. And then the last piece on offense, which is kind of the negative piece, is they only had one first down through the first 27 minutes of the first half. And it didn't really seem like it because they were up like 23 nothing at the end of the half. Yeah. That included a pick six. It included a punt return down to the like 23. Yards. Yeah. So offense didn't exactly do a whole lot this game, even though they scored 30 points. Moving on to the defense, um, big piece is Jeremiah Cooper with two interceptions, one pick six. Yeah. Just a casual two picks. And I, and I feel like something that we talked about literally all off season long was, um. Like, we don't want to nitpick on the defense because they're already the main spot of this team. It's the unit that really drags the team to wins, especially last year. The thing we said was if there's something you have to nitpick about the defense and you would ask them for, one, it's cause more turnovers, and two, take them to the house. And Coop did that on the first drive of the game. I mean, talk about setting the tone. And really setting the tone was Dominic Orange, Big Citrus, Taking the helmet off of Theo Day, play number one, just smashing him into the ground. A couple plays later, a few plays before Coop's pick six, he drops a hit stick on a guy and lays the boom. And so you saw two just absolutely aggressive plays right off the bat. And then Coop, incredible anticipation, jumps the route, house call. It, It was just like you could not have asked for a better start for the defense, and that's exactly what you wanted. And Iowa State got 10 points off of turnovers, and that's something that I you know, Iowa State's defense didn't create a lot of turnovers last year, and then even when they did, Iowa State's offense didn't punch them in. But it's a lot easier to get points off turnovers when the defense just does it themselves. You look at these guys with Cooper, Verdon, even Freiler, they all hit hard. Yes. And I don't think we've had that since Aishin Young. I remember his name this yeah. episode. <laughs> but, I mean, the defense really proved itself. I'll go to the D-line you mentioned a little bit. With Big Citrus and OEM. Um, the UNI center, he had a rough day. <laughs> I don't know what you expected him to do, but they put him one-on-one on the for- first play. That was a mistake. Yeah. It's not often you have an offensive lineman give up weight to their defense, but it was definitely the case. And, man, up front, they just got completely manhandled. And then you look at guys late in the game like Caleb Brady and walk in there and get two sacks. So everybody really stepped in on offense and did their job. And I think a stat that really stood out to me as I rewatched the game, the UNI offense didn't cross midfield for the entire first half. Yeah. When the ones were still playing. Yeah. So I think that really says a lot about the first unit on the field for defense, especially. And sorry, while you were talking, I was I got on our Twitter account to scroll because I made a tweet after that uh, class 5A state championship I said Cartavius Norton Abusama one-two punch could be something really special that was November 18th last year I'm not saying I called it now we need both guys to pan out but 
yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there while you were talking about that. But, I mean, when you go back to talking about the defense, you really couldn't have asked for anything better. I think something that was, like, a really interesting point when listening to Williams and Bloom and they talked about, like, previous teams. And it was interesting, right, because you had some really good linebackers here at Iowa State. You know, Mike Rose, um, Jake Hummel, Willie Harvey, Marcel Spears. Um, and you think about all those guys, how many plays they made. Sorry, even Orion Vance, don't forget about him. But – like, you think about all the plays they've made here at Iowa State, and the weird thing is none of them have stuck in the NFL. The guys who have stuck in the NFL are secondary guys with the D-line, and so it really makes you think that the D-line and secondary have just been really good for Iowa State that allows the linebackers to play freely, and I think this year more than ever, you're talking about the best secondary in the Big 12 and certainly the best secondary in Iowa State history piled with what looks like an absolutely dominant force between Dominic Orange and T.O., and so that's just going to allow these younger linebackers to play, play freely. There's a ton of rotation. Um, and again, if this, if this means anything now, like if you saw a perfect example of why not to trust the Iowa State depth charts, Daryl Simmons wasn't a starter. He starts. Will McLaughlin wasn't a starter. He starts. I'm sure there's like other adjustments around, but those are like the first two that popped off the page for me. But again, kind of going back to the point I was saying, if Iowa State is going to be able to have a dominant D-line who can push piles back and generate pressure compiled with these this elite secondary, these linebackers are just going to be able to play freely, and that's so big when you're talking about the youngest position group on probably the entire team. For sure, and that's really what a lot of games are going to come down to is can the linebackers make plays because you're going to see starting in this game against Iowa when they have tight ends that can match up and make you make decisions at the middle linebacker spot where we have a true freshman. Yeah. They're going to attack him every single play. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to be ready for that. And last piece, and the most exciting piece, special teams. Yes. We have a kicker, we think. He made a 56-yarder under no pressure. Devil's advocate. Um, let's see. Punt you. Perkins averaged, <laughs> what, 53 yards a kick? Does that get put on here? I don't know if it gets put on there. I think that's accurate. And there was two touchbacks. Any of that punt dot was like 70 yards and drilled it on the two. Right. Also, talking about special teams, man, this is something that doesn't need to be said now because it's something that we've already known. But Darian Porter is a stud on special teams. I mean, he tracked that punt down. He is making tackles in the open field. He's a guy in the past couple of years who's blocked punts. He might be like one of the most valuable special team pieces that we've ever seen at Iowa State. <laughs> and those pieces are so crucial for an offense that can't manufacture yards as much. Mm-hmm. So just even getting that punt down at the 10 instead of the 25, well, that's going to make it a lot easier for your offense, mm-hmm. theoretically, if you just keep playing that field position game that Campbell likes to play. That puts a lot less pressure on your offense to make plays. And if you have a kicker now, you only have to get to the 35, and you should be good to at least roll them out there for an attempt. Yeah, and I think even touching on uh, punting real quick, the in terms of the receiving part of punting, you alluded to it earlier just talking about how good Jalen Noll looks. It was awesome to see that they are letting Jalen return punts, and you can tell that it's I, – I, I wouldn't necessarily say – and. I will say, like, it's – I think a lot of people will throw things on that Iowa State finally has a special teams coordinator, and this is the reason why 
things are starting to happen. And I think there's probably more input when, you know, you have a coordinator. And I heard that uh, coach, Hank Poteet, who's the cornerback's coach, since he played a lot of special teams for the Patriots winning a Super Bowl, he's had a lot of input, even though he doesn't have, like, a special teams title. Um, but I think for the most part, it's really the specialist Iowa State has, not necessarily the scheme or the coaches. Um, when you have a guy who can be consistent and can hit long-range stuff as a kicker and Contreras – that you're going to roll him out there for those attempts and trust him more. When Perkins has a year to develop, um, I can't touch much on his release time because you and I wasn't really bringing any pressure at him, but we know he's got the leg if he can get it off and he was improving his accuracy. And then they let Jalen return it, and I think that's more of just the trust they have in Jalen. I don't think there's a lot of times you have huge trust at punt return, especially in college football. Um, And, man, he made the most of it. Um, but it was really nice to see that Iowa State was allowing their special teams return it. Even Miles Purchase, he got a couple um, returns. Probably shouldn't have taken out the first one, but the second one outside of the hold, you know, he ripped one off almost to midfield. So I think it was just great to see guys getting opportunities to shine. And then the last piece of special teams, we had a bunch of touchbacks off the kickoff. Yeah. And that's a piece that goes unnoticed a lot of times because it's right off the commercial break. You're getting your snack and whatever, mm-hmm. and you miss the kick. That can be the difference in 10 yards, and a lot of times it was. Um, so that's about it for my recap. Also, I wanted to ask you, in the stadium, could you tell that there was the new clock rules? Um, that first half that first half felt very long, so I didn't really feel... The, I, the game felt like a pretty long game, and that's probably to the fact that Iowa State jumped out really ahead or, or jumped out pr- uh, early, way ahead, and then it was just kind of slow it down from there and it was just like a boring game um so i mean i didn't necessarily feel it um but i feel like this upcoming weekend we probably will yeah it that second half just felt like a marathon yeah and the new clock rule should be speeding things up so that means one of two things either we just couldn't run the ball so the clock wasn't running anyways or there was just more commercials which is even worse yeah so uh, I don't know across college football I think there was somewhere around 20 less plays each game yeah, I think they said it was like on average two to three less possessions which maybe doesn't necessarily hurt Iowa State um, but this is probably going to be a one and done in terms of that that rule on this season the in-stadium game experience is just so bad anymore yeah you're sitting there through these three and a half minute timeouts and it's the game just goes on forever. Yes. Plus, it's 95 degrees. Yeah, it that was, doesn't help either. It was long. Um, but I think the last thing I'll throw in, and this is some, this is one thing I really want to touch on, um, and I talked about it in the instant reaction. You've heard me already speak my praises for, uh, I guess it's Abu Sama. We keep calling him Abu, but yeah, it's we get names wrong. Yeah, well, I, it was Abu Sama the entire time we were in high school and even watching him in our freshman year, but I think... Like, on the pronunciation guide, it was Abu, but... Just like Wangwu? Yeah. Well, but the, on the pronunciation guide for Iowa State, it was Nwangu. So, I, I don't really know about that one. But, regardless, Abu, Abu, we're not entirely sure, but I guess Abu rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. Anyway, you've heard me already speak how I feel about him, and I don't think it's fair to compare him or expect him to be Brees Hall, because that's a starting NFL running back. I just think that out of this group, if there's a guy that can truly break out and be the guy of the future, it is Sama. I think Norton also has that opportunity. I just think you can't teach the stuff that Sama has, the way that he can float 
and he can just make people miss and hit that burst. You can't teach that. And, you know, hopefully he can kind of experience that Brees Hall body growth from year one to year two where Brees just got jacked. Um, and this is nothing against Norton. I just think there is super raw talents to Sama's game that you cannot teach. So that makes me really high on him and hopefully, you know, a little bit earlier than Brees. But I kind of hope Sama can break out by the time Iowa State heads to Norman and maybe he's that solidified back by the time it's the TCU game. Um, in terms of receiving, uh, you heard me talk about Ben Brommer and that instant reaction. I think, again, it's not fair to call him or compare him to Charlie Kohler, but it's the same thing about Sama. He just has those skills you cannot teach. When you're a tight end cooking a defensive back on a straight go route, that stuff Charlie did. He just got by people. He may not be the fastest guy in the world, but he just finds a way to get off the ball with a quick release and he finds himself open. And so if Brommer can solidify himself as a good vertical threat and he can just find the zones and the open field, I truly think Iowa State has a couple superstars on their hands. They're just waiting to emerge. But I think that's about the best result we could have hoped for after Hanukkah got suspended for however long he is yeah. as you have two guys in Brooklyn Brommer that you can kind of plug in that position yeah and you're getting an equal result yeah um but we will close that down in terms of recapping you and I flip to Iowa real quick um they're coming off a 24 to 14 win uh big man Brian Ferentz one point behind the 25 a game mark <laughs> which they could have kicked a field goal in the last minute <laughs> to get it but they didn't so that says something um, I've heard a lot of people think it's the final year for both Ferences, but I, yeah. not exactly our problem to worry about. Anyway, they go and take a 24-14 victory over Utah State. Um, super fast start. It was 14 nothing right out of the gates, and then they kind of just pumped the brakes, slowed down. Um, from what, again, we couldn't watch it because they were an 11 a.m. kickoff, as I'm sure many of you guys couldn't. Um, just going off of what Chris Hassel said on Twitter and – I think that's a guy that, for the most part, not to say you can... I think he's a pretty reliable guy to... The Iowa fans think he's an Iowa State fan. Oh, well... That's the kind of guy you want when you're looking at opposite media personalities. Yeah, yeah. If their fans hate you, yeah. that's when you know you're reliable and you're not completely biased. Yeah. But, I mean, from what he said, Cade looks clearly hurt, and it seems to be like a negative impact towards the team. Um, he said that the offensive line did not look great at all. And I think he said like, the defense looks soft. Um, <laughs> I doubt that very much. Yeah, but for the, the first two, that's – I mean, the main thing about this game, we'll dive more into that when we talk specific of predictions for this game, it's going to be a defensive slugfest. And I think where last year it was – it was good defense, but there was also a lot of bad offense – this is going to not necessarily be bad offense, but two absolutely elite defenses, and I don't think you'll see as many mistakes as you did last year because there is, I think, I think both teams have quarterbacks who are going to be much better at not turning it over. Um, but I guess the main thing I was going to talk about was Caden McNamara. Um, if he's hurt, that. I mean, nothing, you know, don't want players being hurt, but that's certainly super helpful for Iowa State if he's not as mobile. Um, last weekend, he goes 17 of 30, 191 yards, two touchdowns. Um, in terms of the running game, Caleb Johnson, 19 carries, 63 yards, a touchdown, only averaging 3.3 yards a pop. 
receiving. You'll be shocked to hear that a tight end was their leading receiver at seven catches for 73 yards was Luke Lachey. Um, apparently, Nico Regani is still there. Um, Eric, that wide receiver from Ohio State that they were so excited about didn't even get a reception. Yeah. That's so, um, for the most part, I mean, Seth Anderson, I've never heard of you. Uh, he's the second leading receiver at two catches, 41 yards. He caught a touchdown. I know Nico Regani because he's been there for 10 years. Eric All, you know him because he's a Michigan tight end. He got three balls for 15 yards. I, I don't know who these people – I don't know the receiving core. I know Luke Lachey, and that's it. They had both Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson transfer, um, which were their two receiving threats outside of, like, the tight end spot. But So you, I don't know who they're going to have on the outside, and I don't care because TJ and Miles are going to lock them down. So as always, it's going to mainly rely on the safeties or the linebackers, whoever gets matched up on the tight ends. Um, but I, I think – that this and I and going back to what the offensive line, if it's not that great, um, I I don't know the the offense. I think you're not gonna have the terrible quarterback play you had last year, and you have like more experience for Caleb Johnson at running back, but your receiving core got worse, and so I I don't know. I think the offense is certainly gonna be better than last year, but it just feels like the pieces are a lot worse. Yeah, I think the running back is. A really good player. He's stuck behind a bad offensive line. If they can't run for more than three point three yards per carry on Utah State, yeah, they're not going to do much better against Big Citrus and To. To. Um. So, I don't know. Even Cade McNamara at seventy percent, whatever he is, is still about what, fifteen times as good as Petrus. Yeah. So. You're going to see a lot less interceptions, which mm-hmm. I think he features through one interception. And that, I think that he fumbled. won and the fumble. Yeah. So you're not going to see that. You're also probably not going to see a hundred Deckers far hash to the corner of the end zone. Right hash to far left corner. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot less interceptions, which also means a lot less excitement of a game. And you just hope there's no block punts. <laughs> there will be. You and I didn't bring any pressure on the punts, yeah. which I don't know why, because we always struggle with that. Yeah. So you really don't know if Perkins' release is any better, like you said. But anyways, it doesn't sound like Cade McNamara's mobile. Yeah. I think in their press conference today, they said he's not going to be in there for sneaks or bootlegs. Which is... Which is a lot of their offense yeah. on passing is play-action bootlegs. Yeah. So who knows if that's true or not, but that's a big piece. Um... For me personally, this is a tough game because I like Cade McNamara and Eric Hall. <laughs> so Iowa has a very much more likable team this year for me. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a Cyhawk game. You still want to beat Iowa. It's at home. We haven't beat them in aim since 2011. 2012. No, no, 11. Yeah, you're right, 11. So it's time for that. I don't know. I This is my least favorite game every year. Yeah, I think it's just kind of, I mean, you're never outside of the true outlier of 2017 where it's a 44-41, I think, was the final in that overtime game where I would say so should have won, but whatever, there's a lot of times we say that. Um, yeah, it's going to be your classic defensive shootout, and this year more than ever, um, looking at their defense, which, as we know, is the strong suit, a top-five unit last year, probably going to be around that, if at worst, top-ten. Um, the one thing I would mention... 
um, from one of my friends who's an Iowa fan. He did say Cooper DeGene is kind of out of his nickel corner safety hybrid role. He's just a pure outside corner because of the loss of um, Moss on the outside. But it also allows Xavier Wampa to be in what Cooper DeGene's spot was as that slot corner safety role. And if he can reach that potential of what he is as advertised as a five-star recruit and a dominant force in Iowa high school football, him and DeGene are going to be a nightmare to go up against. I did see Nwangpa had a really sweet diving interception that just shows what the kind of player he is. He's a true ball hawk, similar to DeGene. Um, but I do think DeGene's pick numbers will be down a lot this year because he's not in that, that slot and he's not a safety where he's not going to be able to be a true ball hawk. Uh, that's kind of, but I do think Nwangpa can do just as good of a job as Cooper DeGene in that role. Um, to be totally honest with you, like looking at their defensive line names, I don't know them, and that's not as kind of like that was a little bit disrespectful to Jeff to Seth Anderson because I don't know who he is. I'm just like not familiar with their defensive line, but you know it's going to be good. You know their linebackers are going to be good. Um, obviously they do lose Jack Campbell, but then they have a guy named Jay Higgins step up and have 16 tackles, which is ridiculous. Um, and 12 of those solo, but I mean for the most part, you know they're they're going to be really good. I don't, I'm not going to act like I know specifics of their D-line and their linebackers, but I can tell you that secondary, especially with Coop, Cooper DeGene and Xavier Wampa, is going to be a really good duo. They're always solid on offense, and that's never going to change as long as the Ferentz is there. Defense. Did I say offense? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to cut that out. I want to get that audio clip out there. But like you said, I, defensive line, it is what it is. Yeah. They haven't had a big name on there since probably Epinesa. Yeah. And they're always solid. They yeah. don't allow any rushing yards. So they're going to be fine up there. I think the loss of the running back to the Lions last year is a bigger deal than people are making it out to be. Mm-hmm. Just linebackers in Iowa system is the only player that's going to make tackles. And Jack Campbell was a stud. And he was an absolute stud. And then you lose Riley Moss, whatever you're replacing with a five-star. I'm not yeah. concerned about that. Yeah, no. And you have more dynamic there, so it, it is what it is. It, Iowa State's going to have to find a way to score more than 14 points to win, and that's going to be a struggle. Yeah. Um, but I think for the most part, that's what we got covered in terms of Iowa. Um, so we'll flip to our keys to the game. Uh, my first one is pressure Cade McNamara. If there was one thing that was surprising to me of last week's game, it was the amount of blitzing Haycock did, especially early in the game and against you and I. You don't see him blitz that much in that kind of game and that early on in that kind of game. And so that really just opened my eyes. And when you look at it, I think it's because of how much they trust that secondary. I mean, all five of those guys, I would trust in man-to-man coverage for like three to five seconds. Which is probably about eight or nine seconds against Iowa's receivers. Yeah, yeah, probably, especially Seth Anderson. We're <laughs> um, an anti-Seth Anderson. Yeah, I podcast. guess apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about TJ or Miles on the outside, and then it, like I said earlier, it comes down to the safeties in the linebackers matchup in, of the tight ends on the inside. But I think when they have the kind of trust they do in the secondary, I feel like there's gonna be a lot more blitzing this year. And that's not a, like a change. It's because they have so much trust in that secondary to just lock guys down that they can bring a little extra heat and take out some help in the middle. And you just have so many guys that can blitz at that position. Yeah. You have so much depth. It's just a spot where 
you probably aren't just going to send three because you have that stuffer with orange and onion now. And mm-hmm. we haven't had that probably ever. Yeah. So it's you have so much more things you can do on defense. And they always play the same five bubble zone in mm-hmm. the back. So it, this game is shaping up to be another like nine to six game, unfortunately. But it, it'll be good. You're on keys to the game, right? Yeah. Well, I guess, and I'm just talking about. You know, I talked about why I think I would say we'll blitz more, but more importantly, why it's important to blitz in this kind of game. If their line is not great and you have McNamara who's not that mobile, there's no reason why you should be allowing him to sit back there in the pocket and let and let him dissect the defense because that's the last thing you want. And so if you can bring more pressure and, you know, make it so that he's got to get the ball out a lot faster, he's not going to extend plays if he is truly hurt at the extent that he is. And so you cannot just let him sit back there on that three-man. And that's not to say that you can't bring three. Like, they're going to bring three every now and then. It's just going to happen. But unfortunately, I feel like sometimes it will bite them if they're just bringing, like, three or four on third downs. I think they need to be bringing five on almost every third down because I'd feel better about, again, those safeties in the corners getting up in man-to-man coverage, like press-man coverage, and hoping that that five-man rush can get there before a guy opens up. And Kate McNamara is a really, really good quarterback. Yeah. I think even injured. It's not like he's this dual-threat guy. No. He's just, he can't move side-to-side side right now. Yeah. And you got to take advantage of that. He's good enough to pick us apart from the pocket. And we've seen Nate Stanley tear us apart. Yes. So it doesn't really matter who's back there unless they're really, really bad like they have been for the past couple of years. Um, I'll go to my first key of the game here. And we'll switch back to the offensive side of the yep. ball for Iowa State. It's stay on schedule. They ran into a lot of issues with this last week against you and I. Mm-hmm. You can't run into situations where it's third and nine, third and ten against Iowa's defense. Especially when you had you know a ten yard run to open it up, open it up gets called back for holding, and then you have a back that up with a ten yard completion, called back for holding. Um, DPI, <laughs> a DPI the first play defensively. Um, I think those are the big one, the really crappy roughing the passer. But I, I mean, yeah, for I think they got that call right. You can't land on them with all your weight. Yeah, probably not. But regardless, I you're right. The Iowa State can't be shooting themselves in the foot with penalties against a defense like this. It's even. I think it was mostly with JJ in there, but. I don't know. It seemed like they were never in third and three, third and two situations where you could just run the ball. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be vital if you want to score any points because we're not going to go on another 99-yard drive Yeah, just out of nowhere this year. Um, my second key here, um, kind of sticking with the offense, um, I said stretch the field through the air. Um, you know, Iowa's defense, the way that they're built, their D-line and the linebackers are, for the most part, do a really good job at stopping the run. Brees, granted, he only played Iowa once because I don't think he got a lot of reps in that 2019 game. Um, but as, like, the true RB1, he only had one true game, and I'll try to get you the exact stats. But I can tell you it was not a Brees Hall type of day when he played Iowa in 2021. Give me a quick second. I'll get you his numbers. Um, I think he had like 80 yards, but it was a lot of carries. He also had that fumble. Um, yeah, 16 carries, 69 yards. Did have a touchdown. But, I mean, to my point, one of the best running backs in program history ran for under 70 yards 
on 16 carries against this defense. And I know it's not the same defense, but to my point, you know they're going to be good up front at linebackers. They're going to be good at stopping the run. Surprisingly, between Iowa State's elite running backs, the only guy who's like really done well against Iowa's defense was Jirel Brock last year. I think he hit the century mark. Um, yeah, he ran for exactly 100 on the dot, did have 27 carries. But, I mean, if there's one thing we know – Iowa does have that ability to really hurt the run game. And so I think it becomes even more vitally important that Iowa State needs to stretch the field through the air. And I don't mean just passing the football. There's a a point kind of late in that, or maybe even early second quarter, mid-second quarter, where UNI's defense was just sitting about 15 yards and said, throw the ball on us. Eventually, Iowa State did, and it worked. But if you do not stretch the field, even if it's just like, you know, that pass to Brommer, like it's not a huge bomb, but like you're taking 30, 20 to 30 yard shots and maybe like a really deep one to Jalen or something, their defense will continue to creep closer and closer and closer and make it even harder for you to run the ball. And so Iowa State needs to be able to take shots downfield, even if you don't complete them, just to have their defense respect you. Because I, what I don't want is having Xavier Wampa and Cooper Jean playing like 10 yards off the ball and they're going to be sitting there in coverage and making Rocco throw the needle. That's nothing against Rocco, but if you have two ball Hawks sitting right around your receivers in the middle of the field, it could be a lot of trouble for the second game. He's starting. Yes. Yes. I I think you're right on the money there. It's not anything special. You don't have to be taking even Brock in that 2021 game. He tried to force the ball and that's kind of when everything started to unravel when he threw a pick. So it's not going to be pretty. There's probably going to be nine or ten punts each team, mm-hmm. and that's fine because this game's probably going to be nine to six. Yeah. So it's just play to your strengths. You don't need to be airing the ball out because we don't have the wide receivers to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's just these like little fifteen yard routes with bitter that work. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do anything special. Yeah, I agree. My second key of the game here: consistent kicking. We saw him kick a fifty-six yarder that had no pressure. We saw him kick extra points. We haven't seen him kick anything. That was 42 yards when you're down three in the fourth quarter yet. Yeah. You just need somebody reliable there. He was two or four at Nebraska, so it's not like we got this five-star guy that we knew coming in was going to be good. Mm -hmm. He just made one kick, and now he probably has a lot of confidence, which is good as a kicker. Yeah. All it takes is one for everything to come unraveled Mm -hmm. because kicking is a – very Place mental. It's very battle. mental. And if you look at like Texas Tech guy, he had a fifty-four yarder to start things off, and then proceeded to miss three straight. And Tech hits one of those, they win it. Yeah. So it's a good thing this game's at home. Yes. Yes. And even Rocco, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean everybody. In the, it sounds like we're going to get two quarterbacks again. So. Yeah. Also, I thought we were going to see three quarterbacks. <laughs> you just point you didn't get your Tanner Hughes Lamb Ram yeah. package. <laughs> I mean, we were on the goal line, couldn't run the ball. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we got a QB sneak. I can't complain. Multiple snaps under center, not just the QB sneak. Did we really get yeah. multiple? Huh. It was just kind of like stretches or play action, which is something we kind of hoping from Shieldhouse. Nothing crazy, but just some wrinkles. See, here's the thing. I was on a camera where you could only see from right tackle to left tackle and the edges on the defensive line. So I was really like locked in the offensive and defensive lines, and you couldn't see anything outside of that. Yeah. So it was just like, okay, Dominique Orange is a freak. And he's absolutely <laughs> mauling this UNI center. 
and about other than that, it was just we're blitzing a lot. Yeah. So I didn't really pay attention to the offense that much because the defense for Iowa State's honestly a lot more entertaining. Yeah. Um, but my last thing here, uh, I just said win the turnover battle. It's lame, but it, it's simple. In in this game, maybe more than any game, you know, you want to win the turnover battle in every game you play in. But I think if there's one team on the schedule you certainly need to win the turnover battle with to have a sh- a chance to win, it's it is Iowa, and somehow Iowa State lost a turnover battle and still won the game last year. But that was also we saw more Iowa turnovers than we normally do, even though if you factor in the special teams block punts, which are essentially turnovers when you give Iowa that kind of field position, it was really five turnovers for Iowa State, you know, the two picks and the fumble plus those. And so you don't necessarily understand how Iowa State pulled it off. It was probably just the lack of the really, really bad offense of Iowa um, and just that 99-yard drive. But to my point, when you're going to have a quarterback who's not going to put the ball in harm's way anywhere near what Petrus did, Iowa State is going to have to create a turnover. And, you know, certainly Iowa's got those ball hawks we've talked about Xavier Wampa and Cooper DeGene a lot. They have ball hawks who can force turnovers themselves. And so Iowa State's defense, they're going to have to get an interception. I think at least one, you hope for two kind of turnovers. Um, but even if it's just a 1-0, if that one turnover is the difference, you're just going to have to do it. And I think getting turnovers is awesome. I think that's super important to give Iowa State's field position shorter or to give Iowa State's offense shorter field position and hopefully that translates to Contreras even hitting a field goal. But for the most part, it's more about Iowa State's offense not putting the ball in harm's way. If that's a running back coughing it up, I guess anyone who touches the ball. And then most importantly, the quarterbacks. You just cannot put the ball in harm's way versus Iowa more than ever than any team. Oh, I'm staying in the same direction here just because of what we saw last year in this game, my 32 to victory, which is probably the most important is just getting your punts off. Yeah. We saw two block punts last year, one that landed in the 15-yard line for Iowa that yeah. led to their only score of the game. Uh-huh. And then I think the other block punt was when they punched, they got Potabom to fumble at like the one. Right. I think that was the other block punt, but so, it worked out for Iowa State, but... It's the difference of, like, 45 yards. Yes. It's more than any other turnover. Because the other turnovers could happen on the other side of the 50, whatever, you're not going to punt. From and you can make a diving catch and make right. a diving interception where you don't get up with the run and run with it. So it's it's vital when you're playing a team without a stellar offense. It's a lot better. Yeah. But just getting your punts off, play the position game. If you lose 9-6, to six, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but those are the keys of the game, so we'll dive into predictions. Again, we talked about last, for the UNI preview, we didn't have a scoring um, template. I don't know what I'm trying to say. A score, a scoring for these predictions laid out. We do have one now. So last week we predicted our four college football playoffs teams. I have to say that Florida State pick for me feels really good right now. They've got to keep things up. It's only week one, but they look good. So we can't really give points for those until the end of the year. But how it's going to work for us, you get one point if you correct you guess the correct jersey, three points for player of the game because it's harder to predict that, one point for whoever's the – so if both teams pick the winner, it's whoever guessed the closest score. I guess 23-10, to 10, Iowa State. What was yours? 23-16. Yeah. So I took that one. Brandon got the jersey. So it's 1-1, um, but this week we're going to do whoever gets the best – 
um, percentage of the top three Big 12 games this week will get a point. You'll get one point for the jersey, three for player of the game if you're able to get the closest to that, and then obviously one for the final game. So starting off with the Big 12 games, the ones we picked were Texas versus Alabama, Oregon versus Texas Tech, and Utah versus Baylor. Um, I do not have a single Big 12 team winning out of these three. Give me Bama, Oregon, and Utah. I have the same teams, but look out for Baylor. I, the only thing I would say is Shapin's not playing, so that's... Shapin's not playing, but I don't see them starting with a dud two games in a row. You're just an Aranda guy. You don't want that, that Big 12 championship. It, it didn't get affected at all? I, it didn't. It didn't. It really didn't. And, of course, though, if Shapin is out for three weeks, the one time we don't play Baylor week one, it won't hurt us. But anyway. Yeah, we want to beat him anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I do have all three of them winning as well. Alabama by 14. I don't think Texas is going to stand a chance, honestly, in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. After they actually pretty much beat them last year. Yeah. Um, if Ewers didn't get hurt, they, they would have beat them. Bama's probably going to win the national championship as good as they're going to run the ball. Anyways, Utah by seven. They're also without their quarterback. Yeah, that's true. But their guy... Crapped on Florida. It's a little different. Florida's terrible. Yeah. They have the worst coach in the country. Anyways, <laughs> Oregon versus Texas Tech. I have Oregon by 10. I could see Texas Tech winning that just because Lubbock is a really strange place to go if you're Oregon. Yeah. That is a different country. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. It's a weird spot. It is. I never want to go there. <laughs> um, so we'll stay the same. So probably if they're all right, we'll probably just get a point there. It's one or nothing for anything. Jersey, I was quite disappointed that I got that one wrong. I think I went on a run of like five in a row to end the year last year. Started off 0-1. Um, this could be, I'm going all red. I just got a feeling the only thing that would potentially scare me away from this pick was they were all red in 2019. But I kind of like the look of all red in a rivalry game. I think that's, I think both teams should wear their home colors, but I think that's how rivalry games should work. I feel like it could be white, red, white, but uh, I'm going to go all red. And surprisingly, I do kind of want to see all red. As long as they don't do, like, the black accents, like, don't wear the black sleeves and black socks or, like, like socks, sleeves, and shoes. Like, let it be all red, please. Yeah, I I kind of hope it is all red, too, for some reason. I'm usually not a fan of that. Yeah, but for whatever reason, I, I want it to be all red for this game. I do agree. The US, UCLA-USC game. When it's red versus blue. Right. Or, yeah. That's how it should always be, because yep. Iowa's road uniforms are terrible. Yeah, black, white, yellow, and it's just a bad yellow. But it looks fine against the black. Maybe they're going to wear their... Um, all yellow? No, their, uh, <laughs> their helmet that has the American flag in it for 9-11, since that's like that weekend. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I like that helmet. I'm going white, red, white. You kind of got on the, conserv- the opposite ones, and it paid out for you last week. It did, and it seems like they always wear something different for Iowa every single time they play them. So I'm just going to go whatever one they, they haven't worn. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, going to our player of the game, I'm going to go Big T.O., Tyler Onietum. Um I think if there's one... If there's one thing, if I was just going to win this game, I think it's going to be the defense that has to step up. Uh, T.O. and Big Citrus, or Dominic Orange, were incredible in the run game. Um, but in terms of generating pressure, and I think, you know, I didn't really give Dom a lot of credit for generating pass rush. He did generate pass rush versus you and I. But Onyedum, I, he's a beast. 
I mean, both of those guys are, but he was, he didn't get sacks, but he laid some hits on day. He was blowing up the run game. You know, I was going to want to run the ball. I think a combo of him and, and Dom, they're going to have to do a really good job of slowing down that run game. And then if T.O. can get a sack and just have those stops in the run game and generate pressure, I think that's very vital for Iowa State's defense. So give me T.O. I'm going to go a different direction, which kind of is counterintuitive for my score prediction. But since we're doing this point thing, I want to make sure I get one of them right. <laughs> so my player of the game is going to be Jalen Noel. I think he's going to go over 100 yards. Oh, interesting. I was really impressed with what I've seen, even though he had, had like four yards or it something like against you six yards, yeah. But he was open a lot. Yeah, I mean, so, he he was open on the, the deep post and the go route. I mean, if that's on the money, that's two touchdowns for right. Jalen, and so, that is over 100 yards. And he's had game big games like Texas last year. Yeah. He does well, so I'm going to go with Jalen Knoll. If he has a big game, Iowa State's going to win. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you take the score prediction first, just giving it a peek. Okay. You're wrong, by the way. But <laughs> I'm going to go 20-10 to 10 Iowa, which honestly I can't be that mad about. But anyways, Iowa State just doesn't have the offense to compete with them this year. Last year was 10-7, right? Yeah. And that was much because of Petrus. They don't have Spencer Petrus this year that's going to give us the ball twice. They're not going to fumble on the one-yard line again. We might because we are young. They're not as young. We have linebackers that are true freshmen that are going to have to make decisions in this decisions in this game against Iowa's elite tight ends that you don't want a true freshman to be in. And it's just a couple first downs here and there that are going to break this game open. I can see this being a lot like the 2021 game where it's just kind of they're in the game, kind of, but they're down by 10, and you don't yeah. think they're going to score 10 points in the matter of 15 minutes. So I'm going to go Iowa with a win here. I don't see us beating them two years in a row. Yeah, I think for me, the entire offseason, I was kind of all on Iowa. And I still think even at this point, I'm not – I don't know how great I feel about picking Iowa State to win. Spoiler, I do have Iowa State winning 2017 over Iowa. I think where I'll point this to, and that does seem kind of pretty high scoring for this game, but the, when I was like talking about it, I was like, okay, these defenses are really good, but it just – I feel like there's much improved offensive play on both sides to where just two touchdowns are going to happen, even though they're not elite offenses. Weird stuff happens in this game. Yeah, and so I think that's kind of where I touch on it. Weird stuff happens. I think Iowa State is due in Jack Trice. You don't have to worry about that monkey on your back of just not beating Iowa. They've done it, so maybe you have that confidence. I just think both sides have a lot of question marks offensively. I do think there is more experience in terms of those question marks for Iowa's offense when you look at quarterback and running back because those guys have college football experience, and so I think that's where it could potentially hurt Iowa State. But I don't know. I've got this feeling about this team, and I've got kind of this feeling about this game where Iowa State's just due to pull it off. And it it honestly comes down to, though, the turnover battle. I think even when you have elite teams at Iowa State like 2021 – you lose that turnover battle in your terrible spot because the defense and 2021 Petrus was a lot better than 2022 Petrus, not on the level of Cade McNamara, but he was a lot better. But the big thing, I mean, even you look at 2021, I think this defense here in 2023 is a lot better that, than that 2021 defense. Iowa had the scoop and score. There's seven. Then off of Brock's, I think his second and third pick, 
Actually, I think all three picks resulted in points. I think the last two are both field goals, and the first one was a touchdown. So off of four Iowa State turnovers, Iowa had 20 of 27 of their points. If I'm doing that right, I think that's how it was. And so if Iowa State keeps the ball out of harm's way, and I do think – I think there was better pieces on that 2021 offense, but there was better quarterback play. But to my point – if you do not give Iowa, if you do not turn it over and give them short fields, it's going to be very hard for them to move the ball on this defense. And that's where I I take Iowa State's defense to give Iowa State's offense the edge. Maybe this is just hope, but it's it's just that combination of I feel like Iowa State is due to kind of get that back-to-back win in this series and win at Jack Trice. I've never seen Iowa State win in Jack Trice versus Iowa. I that's was a year awesome. late. I... Um, Started coming to games in 2012. Actually, technically, I went to the 2011 Kansas game. I think that was like senior day in November. But the Ice Bowl. No, that was 13. Oh, yeah. But regardless, I've never seen Iowa State beat Iowa in Jack Drice. And I guess this is me crossing my fingers that that's a first at age 19. <laughs> I'm going to attempt fate again and call you psychotic because it worked last year. <laughs> so that is a psychotic pick. There's no yeah. way that happens. Ferentz owns Campbell. Mm. What else? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's usually that stuff. Yeah. So maybe maybe I'm, it works. Yeah, I'm just glad game day's not here. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but outside of that, you guys, that is all we have. Um, if you guys are going to the game, have fun. Um, might be hot. Plan to maybe go in a little bit earlier. I'm assuming they will get it fixed up, at least better than last week. I feel like it'll be somewhat better. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. If you were in the mix that didn't get to see Coop's pick six, I'm sorry because that was the best part of that game. Um, but try to head in a little bit earlier. Probably I would walk in to get planned to try to get there about 40 minutes before kickoff. Um, but regardless, um, have fun if you're going to the game. If you're not and watching from home, awesome. Enjoy a great rivalry. I um, think it's going to be a really fun weekend, hopefully. Um, but anything you got, Brandon, before we go ahead and close it down. Um, I don't know. I just kind of hate this game. and I, <laughs> You know, it's weird because, as many of you know, I'm also a Michigan fan, I, as I've talked about this episode. They play three complete duds to start the season, and that is just a terrible way to start the season. So I'm glad we play somebody of name. It's just the type of game. Right. Is. Yeah, I get it. So it I just, also don't I, like that it's week two. I wish it was week three. Yeah. Anyways. But I, I just think you come... It's just become very apparent to me, I mean, for most of my life, but once you get that one win under your belt finally against Iowa and you can finally shut up the Iowa fans, it feels amazing, and they're just such a toxic fan base. Agree with me, people. Um, not all of them, but regardless, they can be annoying to put up with. Um, so I would just like to shut the door on them two years in a row, and I'd be more than content, but... I hope you're right. What channel is this on? Fox. Fox. Okay. It's going to be a long game, folks. <laughs> we got the four-minute timeout crew in. Yay. Hopefully it's not as hot. Anyway. Um, you guys, if you don't already, please go ahead and follow us on Twitter, at Side of the Storm. Uh, we go ahead and post all of, you know, when podcasts are available at that time, just along with other additional media um, you can also check out me and Brandon's personal Twitters in the description below of this episode, along with, again, our 
podcast Twitter. I apologize for the pretty long episode, but it is Cyhawk, so got a lot to say. Um, but with that being said, I, I will be back with you guys immediately. Well, I'm probably going to Pizza Pit after the game. So once I'm done at Pizza Pit, I will give you guys the instant reaction. So I'll give it to you guys Saturday night at some point, but give you my instant thoughts on hopefully a back-to-back win in the Cyhawk series for the Cyclones. With that being said, um, thanks again to Brandon for checking in with us here for this Iowa preview. My name is M. Wessling, and as always, roll clones, baby.